Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, as I'm sure you can tell for yourself, is the halfway point in the Gospel of Mark. And it functions that way in the flow of the narrative. Chapter 1, uh, verse 14, all the way through chapter 8, verse 21, is all one big section. It tells the story of the Galilean ministry where Jesus begins to reveal his identity and to gather in his people. And then in verse 21 of this chapter, chapter 8, we turn a corner. And it's almost like we begin to walk downhill, metaphorically speaking, towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. The theme for this entire chapter might be slow to learn. That's why there is repetition and rebuke and a miracle that means a lot more than it seems. There is a lot going on in this chapter, so we better get started. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from very far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. All right, now, if this story feels a little bit repetitive to you, that's good. That means you're paying attention. It is very similar to the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. It is a little less spectacular, right? I mean, fewer people are fed from a greater initial supply, and there are fewer baskets left over. But still, more or less, this is basically the same miracle. So why is it repeated? The most obvious answer is that it happens in a different location. This miracle happens on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The first one happened on the western side. So these are different people. On the, on the western side, where the 5,000 were fed, it was mostly a Jewish area. On the east side, where this one happens, it's mostly a Gentile area. Now, in a sense, this miracle goes along with Jesus' dialogue with the Syrophoenician woman back in chapter 7. In chapter 7, you remember, a Gentile woman came up to Jesus and asked Jesus for a healing miracle for her daughter. Jesus said that he'd been sent first to the Jewish people. 
they had the first right of refusal in the gospel. We, we talked about that. And, and the Jewish people had the right to hear the gospel first. And so Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm focused on ministering right now and, and, and preaching the gospel to the Jewish people. And she came back and she said, well, hold it now. If dogs will eat the scraps after the kids have had their meal, then shouldn't it be okay for me and my family to have a share of these blessings too? And Jesus was, he was so captivated by her faith and so taken in by her and her persistence and her humility that he grants her what she has asked. He gives her an early taste of kingdom blessings. And that is exactly what we see going on here. This story, this feeding of the 4,000 miracle, this is a preview of the Gentile guest list in the kingdom of God. Now, the, the great messianic feast was always intended to include the Gentiles. Way back in the Old Testament, in one of the major prophecies concerning the messianic kingdom in Isaiah chapter 25, it says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make a feast for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, okay? All nations. Those are the Gentiles. That's what the Gentiles means. It means the nations, okay? So the Messianic kingdom was always going to include the nations, and we should see this as something of a preview of that, something of an advanced taste of the wideness and the goodness of kingdom blessings. However, it also serves to introduce the main theme of the chapter, which is how the disciples are impossibly slow to learn. Now, probably a, a part of what's going on here is that the disciples didn't anticipate Jesus giving similar blessings to Gentiles as he had just given to Jews. That was probably part of it, but they still come off as just barely smarter than a bag of hammers, right? They're asking really weird questions given what has just happened. How, how will we feed so many people with so few loaves, they ask? And, and of course, we the readers want to shout out this is a smaller crowd of people and you have more bread to start with. How are you not getting this? If Jesus can feed 5,000 people with five loaves, then obviously he can feed 4,000 people with seven loaves. This is not rocket science. But the disciples are, in fact, very slow to learn. Here, what they can't see is that Jesus has come to bless the Gentiles too. All right, let's jump back into the text at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Isn't it neat to know that Jesus got frustrated sometimes? I think that's, if you're at all involved in ministry, I think that's a good thing. Just a little comforting piece there. Verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. They, now we're talking about the disciples. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, again, remember that the main theme of this chapter is that the disciples have a lot to learn. Here we see actually that both the opponents of Jesus and his inner circle still have a lot to learn. The Pharisees are still playing footsie with Jesus, but they're not ready to get serious about his claims and authority. And the disciples cannot seem to connect the dots, even when those dots are being driven into their heads with a hammer. They just don't seem to get it. They have just seen two massive miracles. The Pharisees ask for a miracle and Jesus doesn't give them one. Mark is saying that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter at all how many miracles you see. Faith is always a gift. Seeing Jesus as he is in all his glory, in all his nearness, in all his divinity, in all his humanity, in all his purpose and obedience and humility and perfection, seeing Jesus for all of who he is and believing in him for all that he brings from God to us is always a miracle in and of itself. It always requires a touch from God. And that sets up what we see next. Look at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God man. Now, you have to see all of this together. The theme of this chapter is how slow people are to see and believe in Jesus. And and this miracle 
is a real miracle. It, it literally happened, but Jesus also means for it to serve as a parable. This miracle is communicating. Jesus is saying that the disciples have been helped by God to see some of who he is. They're already one touch ahead of the Pharisees who see nothing of who he is. But like the man in the middle of the miracle, the disciples only see shapes and shades of the kingdom. They are still one miracle away from seeing everything clearly. Peter sees that Jesus is the Christ. He's the spirit-anointed king and long-awaited son of David. Okay, Check. That's, that's a good start. That's a C-plus answer. He's not wrong at all. He just doesn't see far enough. Peter does not see that Jesus is also the suffering servant. Peter doesn't see the cross. And so from now on in Mark's gospel, that will be the truth that Jesus hammers home. From this verse forward, the focus in Mark's gospel is on the cross of Jesus Christ. The focus is on what the cross means for Jesus and on what it means for all those who follow him. And Jesus begins to speak about that right away in verse 34. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What Peter couldn't see in this story was that the Messiah must suffer for us before he reigns over us. Peter had a big gap in his theology, and so he needed another touch from Jesus. He needed some more help. Now here in this last paragraph, we see Jesus immediately beginning to target teaching at that gap. Now, notice, however, that in verse 34, Jesus begins to wrap in the, the crowd for this one. You have to sort of picture this in your mind's eye. He's been walking along. There's, there's an inner circle that's hearing everything he says, but there's a fringe of folks who are interested too. So Jesus, to make this point, wraps everyone in because he wants it to be clear that this call to discipleship, this, this warning about suffering, is not just for the inner circle. It's not just for the leaders and the missionaries and the pastors. Jesus wants it to be very clear that it is for everyone. This is for everyone who would follow Jesus. Everyone who follows Jesus must be prepared to suffer. The Christian faith believes that the road to glory leads invariably through the valley of rejection, suffering, persecution, and death. That's why Jesus would say, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Luke 6, 26. A Christian should actually be concerned if they've never been ridiculed. A Christian should actually be concerned if they've never been scorned or, or marginalized in any way. 
That should raise all kinds of red flags because this world is hostile to Jesus, the, the real Jesus. And so if you're following the real Jesus, you ought to expect that the world will be hostile to you. So the offer of Christ in this passage to all who would follow him is this. Suffer for me now and be rewarded by me later. Or you can be rewarded by the world now. You can be well thought of now. You can be well received now and be rejected by me later. That is what is at stake. That is what you have to decide. Because this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 